Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, um, the topic today that I wanted to talk about is um, called The Art of Letting Go, which is an art. And the Buddha wrote a lot and talked a lot about letting go. And um, I've been focusing um, a lot since the beginning of the year on the Eightfold Path, Buddha's Eightfold Path. And we've been covering the different aspects of the path, right view, right intention, right speech, or wise speech, right action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, concentration. And I'm going to um, continue that today, that talk today. And um, we had already discussed right intention in here about a month or so ago. And I'll go over it very briefly. Um, It's um, the intention, watching how thoughts get set up and being aware and mindful of um, greed or non-greed, ill will, um, or uh, harmlessness or kindness. So you're watching for ill will, for aversion, for how we would create harm in the world to ourselves and anyone else, and um, grief. And I remember giving this talk and immediately going to ill will and aversion, because when you have ill will or aversion, it's uncomfortable. It's an easy one to get, to notice. Usually something's not working for you and other people, and if you act out on it, you really know it. Right? you get that look from other people, right? When you've been angry or said hostile, people let you know. There's a feedback loop, (laughs) right? And the same thing with thoughts of harm or creating harm. You really, the karma, you feel it right away. Um, But greed is a slippier subject. Um, And being that we live in a society where um, greed helps our economy, right? And we strive for greed. How do you talk about greed in a consumer society where the values are to get more, have more, have bigger toys, you know, die with more stuff, (laughs) and you're labeled a better person with the more you have, actually successful, and you're imbued with all these wonderful qualities Mm -hmm. if you own a lot and have a lot. How do you talk about greed? And, and then, who really wants to, anyway? Um, so it's easy to not focus on greed. And I've um, been giving talks for a while now here, and I have been avoiding this particular subject, personally, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but um, the Buddha also talked about greed in terms of renunciation letting go, giving up, um, or non-grasping. And the Pali word for uh, grasping is upadana. And I really like that word 
So I thought I would start there. Upadana is a Sanskrit word and a Pali word. And originally what it comes from is um, the fuel of a fire and the wood burning. And it was referred to, I believe, um, in rituals, in Vedic rituals, where the, you would sacrifice things into the fire. And if you've ever been to some um, Vedic rituals, they'll pour ghee in the fire. They sacrifice the ghee to build the flame. And, and the Buddha used this image. So the fire is clinging to the wood for fuel, right? And he used this image to describe our grasping, clinging, our attachments um, as the way the fire clings to the wood. And, but we get burned up with our desire, or we can get burned up with it. Um, so anyway, so besides the difficulty of talking about this in a consumer society, and sometimes also we're under so much pressure from consuming and getting and grasping and getting more that the only thing we can do to soothe ourselves is um, use our senses to uh, for sense objects like good food and good coffee or wine or alcohol, right, or buying things. So, um, so how do we figure this out? And the other difficulty is when we talk about um, non-greed and non-clinging, renunciating and letting go, um, a lot of us as kids were told to let go of things and to not be greedy. Um, and particularly in religion for a lot of us, right? You were told these were the things that were sins, don't do that, right? Let go of those things. And so this outside authority would come in and tell you when you were greedy or when you were bad or what you couldn't do. Um, my grandfather has a story about that. <clears throat> so some of us, um, we, we become rebellious. We don't want to let go of things because we don't want to be told what to do. It's synonymous with being told what to do. And the other thing that happens with um, letting go is that sometimes we identify with the things we cling to and it becomes like our self, mm -hmm. our self-object. So we'll talk about these things a little more. And I'll tell you a story in case you're getting bored. So my grandfather <clears throat> lived in uh, Odessa in, in Russia. And um, they were hungry a lot. And once a year, you have to fast in his religion, he's Jewish, and on Yom Kippur. And he always thought that it was a terrible insult to make a hungry child fast. <laughs> to, you know, this like didn't work out in his mind, it's very logical. And so he resented it. And um, one day on Yom Kippur, he um, was asked to run an errand um, and go get the rabbi between the services. And he ran to the rabbi's quarter. He opened the door, and the rabbi was eating food. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
All his grandchildren know this story. <laughs> and the moral of the story for him was, don't let anyone outside of you tell you what to do. Like, that was his permission. Then, when he got to this country, you know, you, you couldn't do things in the religious life. You couldn't gamble, you couldn't look at women a certain way, you couldn't eat certain foods, you couldn't drink a certain way. And it was like, all bets were off. <laughs> if the rabbi ate on Yom Kippur, well, you know. So you could see there's like a rebellious quality, our definition of self in my clinging to things, right? I had an experience like this myself. One morning I woke up quite irritable and I was ruminating in my mind, you know, about the things I should have because I'm entitled to them. You know, all the sense pleasures that I wanted and the objects, and I wasn't particularly having them at this point in my life for whatever reason. And I was just irritable and, and having like a very loud temper tantrum in my head. Have you had one? <laughs> and as I'm, you know, preparing, doing my hair and doing stuff like that, and um, it just louder and louder. I was like, my head was banging from my internal demands. And in the middle of this, I elbowed, um, I had a little Buddha on a stand in my bathroom, on a Lucite stand. And um, the Buddha's head rolled off. <laughs> and I brought the show and tell. You know, it was such a message of keep clinging and to the thing, right? Clink, keep clinging to what you think you deserve, the objects and the sense pleasures. And you lopped the head off the booty. He couldn't stand it either. <laughs> so, uh, from Joseph Goldstein, um, he said, when we hear the word renunciation, it sets off alarm bells associated with repression, repression of desire, deprivation, bleak and austere future. And even in the Buddha's time when he talked about this to householders, they weren't buying it. They, they had the same reaction, like, no, we need these sense pleasures. This is why we do the things we do, to enjoy these things. Um, but the, the difference is that, um, let's see if I can find the exact quote, because it was very good. Um, Well, I can't, so I'll, I'll, I'll just say it the way it comes out, that the relinquishment and putting down of some of the clinging and grasping we do, the addictive qualities and the way we get caught up in the wanting, um, leads to ease, a still mind, equanimity, balance, um, an ability to be anchored in, in presence, no matter what is going on, whether you have it or not, and where the conditions come and go, right? Not chasing after things, but being at peace and ease, being in the center with what is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's why we relinquish something skillfully. And also getting, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the clinging quality. A lot of times in this culture, we become so fixated on getting and being the better person, being the better image of myself, having more, 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 doing better, 
that all the energy and focus goes into this grasping, getting, forward motion, and we lose sight of the beautiful peace and stillness of just being and existing. The interior space, the empty space, the quiet space, right? And we crave that too, but we've lost sight of it. It was so interesting to me that when Eckhart Tolle started writing his books, um, still, Stillness Speaks, um, it spoke to us, right? We all listened because we know there's, a, there's a, also a desire for that quiet emptiness. And we can't do that if we're constantly running after, running after, running after. So what are the ways in which we run after? Well, first we do it with um, sense pleasures, right? That's the most obvious one. Uh, sight, smell, taste, hearing, and thoughts are in that too. Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting a good cup of coffee, going to a good restaurant, having a nice glass of wine even, um, enjoying the clothes you wear or the things in your home. It actually makes a lot of sense on many levels to get through life. But when, this be when the getting becomes the object, you know, when there's so much energy in getting and you need to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and there's addiction in it. I need it, I need to have it, right? That becomes a problem. And we're not always so <coughs> aware of this. It's, it can get below the radar. I remember one time um, being in, um, on vacation in Carmel, Carmel Valley, and somebody took me to a gorgeous drop-dead restaurant. I, I really beautiful, and the food was eloquent, the service was eloquent, the, it was in an old mission building, in a valley. It was really gorgeous, the view. But it ended, right? All good, all good things end. They're temporal. They come and they go. They come and they go. So while we can enjoy them and savor them, it's not really a path to freedom, right? It comes and goes. It's not really scratching the deep itch. Um, and our need to constantly feel good things so we can always be happy or we could always be secure, right? Or we create a stability. It's not really the ultimate truth, is it? And we know it. And then you just wait for the next thing to excite you, the next object. The same thing with thought, right? There are like really... Um, Yummy thoughts. Oh, I can't believe I thought that. I should write it down. Now I should write a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was really brilliant. I need to tell somebody. <laughs> I know this book would get published. You know, and then I'll have a following and I have this wise book, right? We have thoughts that we really love and they give us pleasure. And then we cling to those, right? And then we have thoughts that don't give us pleasure and we cling to those. Just equally, the thoughts that we're inadequate or not enough or something's wrong with us, we're not measuring up. We, we, we have clinging to those thoughts too. And the extent to which we cling and hold them as objects is the extent 
to which we suffer. But it takes the mindfulness to see the thought. Without the mindfulness, the thought comes up, right? Um, so one of my recent thoughts was a messy house. <laughs> That's a thought. My house is messy, right? And then um, there's an I that comes up. I, my house is messy, so therefore I am messy, right? Well, maybe that thought left about the messy house, maybe now I'm on to something else, lunch, taxes, um, right, going out with a friend. But my sense of self being messy, that got quite solidified with the mind. Without mindfulness, then all of a sudden I'm a messy person. Maybe I'm unworthy because I'm messy. Maybe I should be embarrassed and maybe no one should come over. Right? And what would my mother say? <laughs> it just keeps going, right? You have solidified into a hot mess and then we don't let that go. We don't relinquish that image, right? We cling to it. It's a feeling in the pit of the stomach when we go out or throughout the day, oh, this house is a mess, I'm such a slob, I don't have to, right? It becomes this huge story about me. And we can do, without mindfulness, we can do it with anything. Relationship, money, good hair day, bad hair day, anything, right? <laughs> anything. How my sister thinks I'm doing, my uncle, my aunt, right? Anything can be clung to as a story. And it's the mindfulness that interrupts that. That you can actually, the Buddha is saying, you can let it go. You can relinquish it. Right? You can drop it if you can. It's a slow and gradual process, and it's not easy. I remember being in the ashram with the Hindu swamis in orange, and people would come up to this one particular Swami who was very popular, and they'd say, um, how do I let go of the pain in my relationship? You know, or how do I let go of my um, low self-esteem? How do I let go of my depression? Or, and um, you know, this, this young man was raised in an ashram and been chanting and meditating all his life in India, and he'd say, well, just let it go, <laughs> right? Just drop it. Well, if you could, you would, right? You didn't need him to tell you that. So it's not easy. It's a practice, and it's gradual that we wake up to these things. So, um, so one of this is sense pleasures, being lost and caught in it, seeing what our addictions are. I know there's this commercial that I see where this woman, um, she hides shoes in her closet. Have you seen that one? And she's got a closet filled with shoes because she's buying shoes online at a particular site that gives discounts. And her husband catches her and says, what are you doing? And she says, after he leaves, she says, I loved every minute, and I'm going to keep doing it, you know, right? We're kind of like that, right? But what is the sweetness in being able to let go and relinquish? And you do let go a lot. When we have to wake up for work, we let go of sleep, you know? Um, you have a child, you let go of your free time and your money, right? <laughs> Um, you have an elder parent who needs care, you, you, you give up a Saturday or a Sunday or an evening to care for them. Um, we're letting go all the time. 
And then the other way would just be um, the view of myself and my world. We love these views because we want a secure world where we understand it and we're in control and we can make it work. And there is nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, I think that's the definition of a healthy human being, except that the world is way beyond our control. It doesn't always work, and it changes all the time. It's unstable. So a lot of times we get stuck in that view to feel secure, and we're caught in it. A lot of views we have came in without our knowing. They came from... Um, our culture, society, it came from racism and sexism and consumerism, and they weren't even ours to begin with. They could have been the person who lived down the block, you know? But we're not always aware that we're clinging to certain views. And certain views really strangle us and hold us tight. I, I, as a therapist, you know, I've, I've sat with, um, with women who have said, well, I had to stay married. You know, because that was the right thing to do. That was what you did for the kids, right? That's a view that's holding you. And it may be holding you in ways that don't serve you. So to look at the relinquishment of your view. Very challenging in these political times. Uh, I have a dear friend who doesn't share my political view. And yet she is a lovely person and very generous and kind. And I've had to relinquish my view mm -hmm. to maintain our caring and nurturing relationship that I don't want to lose. Right? Sometimes that's very hard because we become our view. So a friend of mine, and actually a Dharma teacher, gave me um, an exercise, which I will admit, I threw in the dresser drawer and didn't look at it for about three or four months. So. <laughs> and it was challenging. And his recommendation was to read this um, every morning and write about it, which I did not do. <laughs> right? and, and that's just as important as reading it. Right? What gets in the way is just as important as the way. So this is what the exercise he gave me. Um, my possessions are dependent upon conditions. Because they are dependent upon conditions, they are unstable. Because they are unstable, they are painful. They are painful and not under my control. Because they are not under my control, they are not mine. They are not mine and not part of myself. Anybody feeling the groove in that? Mm -hmm. Right? Who wants to read that in the morning? <laughs> I don't want to read that with my coffee. <laughs> my very good coffee. <laughs> my perfect dark blend. <laughs> in my perfect cup. In my perfect cushion. In my perfect chair. <laughs> right? With the perfect breakfast. I don't want to read that. Right? And then it goes on. My job is dependent upon conditions. My wealth is dependent upon conditions. My friends are dependent upon conditions. My child, right? All this, and you think about it, right? You have um, a seed, right? You have the sun, you have water, and you have earth. You want this avocado tree, right? You need all those conditions to come together to make that avocado tree. If one of them fails, the tree fails. <laughs> 
We are like this. Everything we have is dependent on a condition. But we, we don't want to contemplate that, right? Well, what would happen if we did contemplate it? That's what we have to think of. Well, what would happen if we did? And this is what would happen. It goes on. Um, he goes on, my emotions are dependent upon conditions. My thoughts are dependent upon conditions. And then it goes into for all beings. Their jobs are dependent upon conditions. Their social status, their wealth, their family, their friends. Um, and, and then it goes on, all that is near and dear to me um, are subject to change and separation, right? Death and illness. Um, and then the last part is, when these things are changing and separating, all that is left is their emotional state. Their emotional state makes them happy or unhappy, depending upon whether they cultivate dependence or independence. By depending on these changing conditions for happiness, they experience sorrow and unhappiness. While not depending on external conditions for their happiness, they are cultivating dispassion, compassion, happiness, and tranquility. So, it's a challenge, right? It's not something you're going to wake up and be totally enlightened and let go of everything, nor is anybody asking us to. But it's a contemplation on what is the skillful nature of letting go, right? What is the skillful nature of releasing things? How can we be in this world but not consumed by it? Right? Be in this world but not of it. And the line I like from Jesus is wearing life like a loose garment. How can I loosen this to be skillful and live with some freedom and ease? <coughs> and it's contemplating these teachings. So I'll read one more thing to you. And, and um, I might have a copy for you if you want this, or if you want to contemplate it. Um, I've been meaning to type it up in, well, it sat in the, in the dresser drawer for a few months, and then it's crumpled up in my bag, not typed up. The resistance is there. Uh, because we all look, um, how many people went to see Beauty and the Beast? We like fantasy, and we like happy endings. Maturity also is that endings are happy and unhappy. Okay? Outcomes are good and not so good. And um, we need to leave the fantasy for something greater in our lives. Right? Touching the truth of the way things are and finding that stillness beyond the desire for all these magical things. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So I'll read one thing and then we'll end. Or we'll talk. Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. Oh. This is Walk Slowly by Dana Fowles. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still. And just like that, something in you settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and you remember again 
that life isn't a relay race, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as you forget, catch yourself charging forward. That many times you can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and to be, and to walk slowly into the mystery. And ultimately, all of letting go is letting go into mystery, beyond what we know, beyond what we think. beyond grasping for security and stability. We open up to allowing things to be unknown. So, our guest, the cat, has had a wonderful time (laughs) and loved the talk and your company. And um, it's tradition in our group, which is a very big group right now, um, to break into small groups and have some dialogue. And as big as we are, I would love to keep that tradition going. So um, it will be a challenge, (laughs) but I think you're up for it. So we'll break into groups of three, four, five, and feel free to use some of the other rooms. And... um, Create some dialogue, some mindful listening, some mindful speaking. Um, What do you need to let go of? What do you need to relinquish? What gets in the way? Or anything that came up for you this morning in the talk or the meditation, right? Or what are you grasping at? What's clinging? What's burning you up with desire? like that fire clinging to the wood. And see what comes up. And if nothing comes up, make some friends. (laughs) All right, so let's give you, um, should we give you 15 minutes? 15 minutes. And feel free to spread out. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.